It's the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast with your host, the Wolf and Action Jackson, who are keeping rock alive by talking classic rock, hard rock, progressive rock, heavy metal, 80s music, early MTV, UK vs. US chart success, and much more. This is the home of classic album and live concert reviews and your place for interviews with artists and legends. You're rocking with the Wolf. Yeah, they're rock and rollers. Welcome to episode number 165 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. the Wolf. And I will be joined, as always, by my partner in crime and co-host, Gary Action Jackson, from the East Coast of the United States of America. And we thank everybody who tuned in last week to our show on Simple Minds as their album Sparkle in the Rain is turning 40. It's a band who's huge around the world, really big in England and Europe, but just never really got over the hump of that one song from The Breakfast Club here in America. And we thought we would share that with you because we need more American fans to appreciate Simple Minds. But a band who's huge here in America and really most places around the world is a band who just wrapped up their end of the road tour, and that's Kiss. Love them or hate them, Kiss have been around for 50 years. And their debut album, Kiss, is turning 50 on February 18th, 2024. Now, anyone who listens to the show know that Jackson and I are huge Kiss fans. When we were roommates in college, we really started to get into the Kiss, the old stuff, the makeup era stuff, and hoped and prayed that one day we would get them to reunite and do one of those shows for us. We got to see them on the Revenge Tour together in Daytona. And we've done several great Kiss shows over the years, including a couple with the Kiss Kings, Tom and Zeus, of the Shout It Out Loud cast. And if you've been listening, you know I took the Wolf Cub to see Kiss one more time live in Cincinnati last year, just before they called it quits on the End of the Road Tour. And that was a fun show to do. So we thought as the debut album is turning 50 we would give a track-by-track review of it because it's not one we listen to over and over. The live albums are a better representation of Kiss, and we'll even reference in the show how much better a lot of the songs in the first album sound live than they do in the studio version. But as an extra special treat, we're actually going to get a question of ours answered by Ace Fraley, our dear friend and host of the VRP Rocks podcast, Paul Stevenson recently had Ace on his show. It's a great interview, and Ace is pushing his new album, 10,000 Volts, which comes out around the same time as the 50th anniversary of the Kiss debut. And Paul was generous enough to ask a question of Ace that we came up with. And in typical Ace fashion, he kind of went off on his own tangent there. It's great Ace if you know Ace's personality, and you're going to have to listen to the show to hear that quote from Ace. Now, first, we have a little bit of business to take care of. As usual, we like to mention that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a network of about a 100 different shows, all music genres. There really is something in there for everyone. Visit PantheonPodcast.com or follow at Pantheon Pods. And be sure you visit our sponsor, RareVinyl.com. I know a lot of you are record collectors. I know a lot of KISS fans are big collectors. You go to RareVinyl.com, they have over a quarter million items in stock. And yes, they have a lot of KISS stuff, including picture discs, including Japanese imports, including lots of stuff from around Europe, which will have the different S's 
than the stuff you can buy in America. And they ship all around the world. And if you use code UGLY, you can save 10% off your order. Now, it's a one-time code. So don't just go buy one single for eight bucks. Go buy a bunch of stuff. Go buy the rarest import that you can find. Go buy something in mint condition. Go buy something with those European S's on the Kiss albums. Go buy as many as you can. They've got a lot of great stuff in stock. And use that code UGLY and save yourself 10%. Of course, they don't just have KISS stuff in stock, and it will work on anything that you buy. I know somebody bought a couple of Taylor Swift albums the other day, I assume for maybe one of their kids. But hey, they saved 10% using the code UGLY, and you can do the same. Now back to KISS. Coming out of nowhere in New York with this strange makeup on. Of course, Peter's makeup is very strange, and we'll get into that on the show. But here's a band trying to make it. With the New York Dolls getting big and using makeup, they kind of went their own way. Went for more heavy edge to their music and makeup that is like nothing else we'd ever seen before and really like nothing we've ever seen since. And it must be iconic because it kept going for 50 years and now they have avatars that will keep Kiss going after all the members of the band are dead and gone. But it had to start somewhere and that's where we're going today. We're reviewing the debut album by Kiss as it turns 50 right here on The Wolf. Now, we, when we moved in together, 1991 fall, and we found the Park Avenue CD shop across the street from school where they had used CDs that were in pretty darn good condition. Yeah. We were like, this is a gold mine, man, because we don't have to go pay 15, 16 bucks for a new CD and take a flyer on it. We can get it for like half of that. Mm. Has a couple miles on it. Maybe the jewel box is cracked or something, but as long as the thing plays, right. who cares? And one of our first purchases was Kiss Alive 2 for like $14 for the double CD, which I still mm. say is a heck of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously we got into those second three albums the the ones that came from like 76 to 77 there and destroyer love gun and rock and roll over right but then we had to be curious about the first few albums and it didn't we didn't just run out and get alive i think that summer we were apart between freshman and sophomore year i got double platinum yes yeah i remember that that to me that was when we kind of got into more of the early stuff that's that's what it was for me too because like in high school i was just kind of starting to like man you know they used to have makeup and they were so cool and that was a great look but i didn't know their music all that well forever went to number one and seeing kiss exposed was big but then (laughs) Well, well you know couple different reasons but yeah, yeah yeah we like kiss and spose but then between getting double platinum and then eventually the kiss confidential was it kiss confidential uh i know i think it was kiss exposed i know no, 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 no. no, no, i exposed uh extreme close-up there you go kiss extreme close-up confidential yeah. came later wasn't quite the same but Kiss Extreme Close-Up was great because Kiss Exposed was basically them with these silly vignettes with a bunch of girls around and stuff like that. And then they would show vi- their videos, some of which was the classic band in the makeup in the 70s and early 80s. But this was more like a documentary of mm. their career. And we went from this and then did this album, then did this, and we grew here, and then there was our manager, and then we you know had to lose Peter, we lost Ace, da-da-da, it kind of went on like that. And that we watched on VHS at least 100 times. Correct. Yeah. And I like that because, yeah, like you said, it was more of a history of the band and where the the exposed, they basically just bagged, you know, any, they, I think they brought up Ace Freely and they, they just went, oh, you know, we don't even want to talk about that. There was more of the history and they, it, I don't think they were super complimentary 
to Peter or Ace, but at least they mentioned them and you heard the story of how the band started and, and evolved. Yeah, and we got a little bit more exposure to those classic songs. And then when we got to see them on Revenge, we knew the Deuce Dance was coming, you know, mm-hmm. and we, we understood what some of these songs meant in their catalog, you know, so, and we went to a, did we go to a Kiss convention? We didn't, Something. we, we didn't yeah. see them play. Right, right. And so maybe it was before they took it over. I'm not sure. But it was like a place where Kiss fans would come to like trade their wares and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And yeah. I remember I got like a bootleg cassette of Kiss in France in 76 or something like that. We didn't really have the money to buy the real fancy stuff. Yeah. But we got a couple LPs, mm-hmm. uh, and including like Dynasty. And I gave that to my daughter because she's such a big Kiss fan. It's hanging on her wall now. That's how you keep rock alive, folks. <laughs> But my regret was not getting the original album on LP back then, as LPs were starting to die off and Kiss Mm -hmm. was not nearly as popular as they were. We could have picked up the original LP, no problem. And now it's a little bit of a, it's not a chore. You can find it, but to find it like in good condition, without someone trying to charge you through the nose, not a reprinted one, it's not as easy as it was back then. Yeah, now I did get a copy of the original album, but I got it as a present for, I think, one of my brothers. But it was not anything close to being an original pressing. I mean, it was it was right. in fairly good shape, and it, you could tell it was um, after the fact. So, I mean, cool to look at, and it's and you know the twelve inch vinyl is cool to put up on the wall. But yeah, not a collector's item by any stretch of the imagination. Right. So that's kind of our experience with Kiss how we got into them and if you've listened to our show before we've talked about that a lot we have many kiss shows for you to listen to plus we are buddies with the shout it out loud cast guys now i don't think they've reviewed this album quite yet they don't review you know like six albums a year they're stretching it out because they want to do this for many many years in fact they Mm. just put out the dynasty review last week as we're recording this so they're probably going to go in greater depth at some point on the original kiss album And we respect them for that. We're not trying to ride their coattails. We're really into KISS, too. We've spent a lot of hours with KISS, just not Mm. quite as many as they have. (laughs) So this is going to be our kind of personal journey and exposure to the first album, which turns 50 in February here of 2024. It is something to celebrate, but you wouldn't necessarily know that they were going to change the world from this album, Gary. That is a correct statement. And that was one of the things I was thinking about when we started to do this or get into the research for it. I can only imagine that when they started off with the makeup and everything else and this collection of songs, I'm sure the record industry had no idea what to do with them because it was there's a lot going on here. They didn't look like anybody. A couple of the songs, they have their own style, but then a couple are kind of of the time. So, yeah, if if you only heard this, you would not believe that they just ended their last world tour. What was it? Three months, two months ago, a month and a half ago. Yeah, not not too, not that long later. Yeah, I know. And, you know, Kiss had been around for a while. I mean, they they were Wicked Lester, which was Paul Mm -hmm. and Gene's first band they got a recording contract and they basically recorded an album some of this some of which included these songs on it or earlier versions of these songs Mm -hmm. to their admission it was a hodgepodge it was like (laughs) anything that was on the radio they would mimic it and throw that on there so like if Mm -hmm. if there was a song with a trombone this week on the top 40 they'd throw a trombone on one of their songs which doesn't make a whole lot of sense But that's what they did. So when they got to the end, had it all together, they were going to be given some money like, okay, here, we'll pay you for this record. And Paul and Gene are like, this is just not that good. We we can't. (laughs) 
put this out. And the other members of the band are like, hey, man, it's money. Let's just do it. They're like, no, we would rather, we would rather, you know, do something better. We would rather fail as ourselves than succeed as whatever this is. So mm-hmm. they, they ended it, you know, and they saw that the dolls, the New York dolls were doing this makeup thing. So they kind of started to experiment with some of that. They picked up Peter Chris on the drums and they were three piece for a while, but they needed something else. They, I mean, Paul's a strummer. He's not a lead guitar mm-hmm. player. So like we need a lead guitar player. They told tryouts. Bob Kulik comes in. He's really good. So they start talking about what he likes and stuff like that. And then this guy comes in with one red sneaker and one orange <laughs> sneaker, plugs in and just starts jamming. They're like, what are you doing? Shut up. Stop that. It's not your turn. He's like, ah, oh, man, sorry, Curtis. You know, <laughs> which is, of course, the great Ace Fraley. He plugs in with the band. They play together and like, well, this is it. This is the yep. guy weirdo and all and so they they started to play around new york play small clubs and stuff like that and eventually they got signed by casablanca records which was a new record company what was it neil bogart and he worked at buddha records it was that what it was and he started to strike out on his own i think so yeah with casablanca and he got kenny kerner and richie wise who had been in i guess bands before but then they started to produce some stuff like you know what this is more our speed i'm getting married i don't want to be on the road i don't want to be a singer in the band all that kind of stuff Let's do some producing and that'll be our gig, you know? So he brought them over with him to do Casablanca and then like, okay, you know, let's, uh, let's start with this band kiss that I found. They're really great live. They're tearing it up in New York. They're the answer to the New York dolls. They have this Kabuki makeup on and all that kind of stuff. Let's see what we can do with them. And that's, I mean, it happened fast. I mean, I feel like in early 73, they were together. And then by early 74, they already had the first record. Yeah. And what did it take like 13 days or something to lay down? Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. That was back when it was like, you didn't have six months or a year. It was hurry up as quick as you can. Yeah. get it together so we can get this out and we're in the studio from midnight to 2 30 like we don't right. have that much right. time you know <laughs> exactly yeah can we do another take of that no you cannot we're done but i think that paul and gene used to like figure out that you know they would come in and do like backup vocals and stuff like that for different records mm-hmm. it's like instead of getting paid give me some studio time so they started to collect some studio time they did it that way they're pretty savvy people as we've come to know over the mm-hmm. years yeah definitely yeah definitely understood that that was the that that was worth more than money was that time because they if they where were they at the I think they were at the Electric Lady Studios mm-hmm. in New York and yeah they would hang out and when any time that they would get you know somebody would leave early or not show up they would be there ready to ready to jump in there so yeah they understood that it was um it was important to make a record at a place like that also so there's some stuff on here that's like that's classic Kiss they've been playing these for fifty years. Hmm. There's also someone here like, mm, that's an interesting decision. I do feel like overall, though, the stuff is better live than it is represented here on this album, except for maybe Black Diamond. I think all the songs are better live. Correct. Correct. And that, and that was the thing. That's why they struggled until they put out a live. And then people got a little taste of what it was, what it was like to play live. And then they took off. And then yeah, they took and, off. And this yeah. is, it's interesting because, you know, we, we talk about these album reviews like what was going on in the band at the time 
there was nothing going on. This was the beginning. And they definitely had something that was different. And that's hard in the music business because people want the same. It's right? true. So if, if thing A is hot, you want somebody that looks and sounds exactly like that so I can sell more of the same thing. But this was just, it, it was different. And there are, the one thing that I can say about this record is they've got songs on here that they, I mean, Deuce is still played live today. Or Absolutely. In the last tour. So it's not like they just threw this thing away. Like, oh yeah, we forget about that first record same with black diamond you know yeah i mean yeah they, they it's a great way to close well they don't it's not the closest but they usually close before they come back for the encore mm. we also have to talk about the cover we, we usually talk about the covers sure but this one is so iconic now and for mm -hmm. different reasons <laughs> right so it, it's kind of got that you know that kind of Beatles cover with them. You know the, the the classic Beatles cover is it with the Beatles, where the guys' heads are at different kind of levels. There, mm -hmm. of course, here are the guys in their makeup with the Kiss like I don't know if that's rhinestone logo <laughs> kind of behind them. I don't think that's the big marquee that lit up. So you got the Star Child on the left kissing in the camera, <laughs> and then you've got the Catman with the strangest Catman makeup right. ever. Yeah, you're never going to see that again. Never saw it before, never saw it afterwards. I mean, look, they famously all designed their, their faces mm -hmm. and would do their makeup themselves. Even after they became huge, they still always did it themselves. But I guess they wanted something better for Peter or something more interesting. I don't know. So they had a makeup artist coming to do it. It's weird. I mean, his eyes are enormous. <laughs> I don't know what's above his eyes. That's eyebrows of some Are those supposed to be the cat ears? I don't know what that is. I'm glad they ditched that. They've got the red coming down under his lips that doesn't really yeah. make a ton of sense unless he just like ate something or something. I don't know. The whiskers are done really wide and weird. It's not good, if you ask me. <laughs> no, but but looking at this, like Paul's is pretty much the same. Yep. Ace is it, he toned that down a little bit, and and Gene had it got progressively longer on the bottom, and he changed it. So I always figured this was like kind of the first run of the Catman makeup, mm -hmm. but that's not the case. This was somebody else designing this, and yeah, one and done. And thank you because this it does look weird. It does look weird. And yeah, Gene eventually refined it so it looks better yeah, yeah. down below and above, to be quite honest. I mean, his, his basic makeup is iconic, but not so much on this one. Now, Ace, who went full in with the silver hair, yeah, I think that looks amazing. I think it does too. I think I think out of all of these, his his looks the best. And, and I do like the silver hair, which was, I think, what did I read? It was kind of a last minute add-on that he was, he was going to go all in. Yeah, and I think the guys are like, okay, well, good luck getting that out of your hair, dude. But apparently it wasn't that hard. So I'm like, well, if it wasn't that hard, he should have done it every night, man. It right? looks killer. Yeah. Plus, he's got that little star earring coming down off of his ear. I'm like, that. see, you don't know anything about the band, and you see him. I'm like, that's the guy who has it the most together. Yeah, That's the guy who you want to be like, which is probably not true in real life. <laughs> Not all aspects. So, yeah. But, you know, they went into Bell Sound in New York City and they, they cranked it out. And it was only 32 minutes or so. And then eventually... Neil wanted them to add another song, which which we'll get to here in a bit. Mm -hmm. Hey, this is Tom and Zeus from Shout It Out Loudcast. And you are listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. 
Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. I think, yeah, let's get into it. Okay, let's get into it. And to help us... Mm-hmm. I have this amazing book by writer and fellow Pantheon podcaster, Martin Popoff, mm. Kiss at 50. Too bad it's not signed by the artist or by the author. Oh, oh wait. But it, it is. is. Signed to me and my daughter. <laughs> Thank you, Martin, so much. And yeah, and I'm going to take a little, uh, some excerpts out of here uh, from Martin's book. And then, but you it, know, actually right off the bat, just looking mm-hmm. at that cover, that's kind of the cover the cover of the book is kind of the cover of the first album, but it's not. It's a different shot. Well, you're right. Yeah, it was from the same day. It was from the same shoot, no doubt mm-hmm. about it. But it's not the exact shot because the exact shot would probably cost you a bunch of money. Right. But it's cool to see that because it's it's you're so used to seeing that uh, the first cover that it's, it's just cool to see something else from that photo shoot. That's right. And Gene looks better. This may be a better picture, right, turn around. to be Let me honest. See, it again. see that? Ooh. Yeah. Are Ace's eyes closed? No, it just looks like he's tired, which was probably yeah. the case. Yeah. He probably uh, showed up from an all-nighter. Yeah. But then, you know, like Peter's head's tilted a little bit, and Paul's even got a little bit of a tilt from right to left on it. Mm-hmm. So I understand why they took the other one. You know, it's 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 new bias, right? It's like, oh, I've never seen this. I like it better. But yes, right. because you've looked right. at the other one for 40 years. You know? <laughs> 50, but I wasn't looking at albums when I was one. 
Right. Or when this came out, I was what uh, eight months. Now I wasn't into Kiss, and my parents were never into Kiss, and yeah. my dad thought they were a joke, even though he dressed and, up as Gene Simmons for a party once in the late seventies. He's like, and, and I could see that if you were if you were of that age when you were more into you know hard rock and people that had had a little bit of a legacy at that point in time, you had to see these guys because that's probably the first thing that you would say is, well, they've got nothing going on. That's why they have to do this shtick with the costumes and the makeup. Right. Or he's like, oh, the reason they did that is so they could replace people and you'd never know they were gone. You're like, or that ghosts, too, yeah. you know, uh, I'm like, well, I'm not sure if that was exactly why. Look, it's what was happening in New York at the time. Mm-hmm. The New York dolls were getting all this stuff, but they're little tiny people. Whereas Gene's <laughs> over six feet tall paul's like six feet tall if you put them in platform shoes suddenly they're six five or six six they can't come off as girls they have to do but they want to use makeup and so they figure this out and then this is the direction they go and it's iconic it's changed the world whereas the dolls are kind of like yeah whatever just another new New york bunch of weirdos right it's a page in a book like yeah they led to probably glam rock but can most people name a new york doll song probably not Probably not. You know, and they didn't have big hits. They were big in New York where there's a bunch of weirdos and you can find your niche. Yeah. But Kiss became huge in the heartland, which is what it takes to be successful over decades. Well, that was that was Paul's deal is that like, you know, he saw them and said, well, you know, we can do that. We can have a look like that. And our songs were way better. Yeah. The, the dolls were, <laughs> were all for shock value. They weren't really great songwriters. Maybe they were decent performers, but whatever. They didn't last that long. Yeah. All right. So let's go. Let's go track by track here. Opening song is Strutter, mm-hmm. which I love. But on that aforementioned double platinum, mm-hmm. they put Strutter on there, only it was re-recorded. It was Strutter 78, and it right. is slightly different. More of it, yeah. I mean, it, not that you could... It's not totally different, but yeah, I listened to both versions for this show, and yeah, it is different. It's got a little more of a disco beat to it in the back. Uh, yeah, and it's also, I think, a little bit better produced. Mm. Some of the fills are a little bit better. Look, obviously, if you're going to get a second chance at something five years later, it ought to be better. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got more experience in the studio. You've got more experience with the band. You've got better people around you. A lot of people will say the original Strutter is better, and Gene certainly does. He's like, that's I don't know why we needed 78. The original is good. But Mm -hmm. me personally, I like the 78 version better. It's probably because I've had more time with it because I've listened to Double Platinum many, many times. Right. And then so you listen to the original version, you say, well, that's not exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds a little older, which of course it is, but it is a classic Kiss song. And it's kind of, it's your first intro and to the band. And I'm glad they put this one first because there are songs on here that don't sound like that. And so I'm glad they led with this one. That's more of the of the what they were trying to do and how they would move forward. Yeah, and you could hear Gene's bass. It's, it's yeah. really dirty and sleazy on this. You know, it's good stuff. And Ace's guitar is very Ace on here. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to. Oh, it took Ace a few albums to find his sound. Nope, no, that's Ace right away right. and forever. Yeah, uh, on yeah. there.
the biggest differences is it does end. Whereas in the 78 version, it kind of plays out and fades out. Okay. And I like the fade out better than just like the hard end. The hard but stop. Obviously, if you're playing live, it has to stop somehow. <laughs> Right. I but, was wondering too, like as I listened to this, like it didn't say that it was that he wasn't, but was Ace on the '78 version? I don't know. Probably not. It was mm. probably Bob yeah. Kulik. And for those who don't know, look, Ace didn't show up to work a lot of times, and like <laughs> they had to move some stuff forward. And famously on Alive and Alive Two, they had to clean up some stuff that was maybe not re- didn't come through in the recording. Mm. And generally speaking, that was Bob Kulik, and he right. came in and played on. Paul solo album and a lot of kiss stuff over the years. And it wouldn't shock me that if he played on, on Strutter. You wouldn't either. Yeah. I mean, I looked, I looked a couple of different places and they, they credit ACE to this, but it wouldn't surprise me if you found out that he was not there when they redid this. Right. Right. And he it had was, a COD game or something. Yeah. I got a COD game. <laughs> I can't come to work today. I got a COD game. <laughs> You're an idiot, ACE. I just found out, by the way, Ace keeps getting himself in the news. And for all the wrong reasons, trashing Kiss, trashing Paul. The latest thing was like, I play guitar a lot better than Paul. I'm like, yeah, that was never really up for debate, Ace. And then he's like, and I sing better than him, too. I don't need backing tracks. I'm like, pump the brakes there, superstar. (laughs) I know Paul's struggling. His voice is shot. and He needs a little help in some areas. Mm -hmm. But on his worst day, he sings better than you on your best, Ace. You... (laughs) are tarnishing your legacy the way you're singing and playing now. Paul wasn't tarnishing it. He was giving people a chance to celebrate it before he turns it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely definitely bad blood there. And didn't he say something? Didn't Ace say something about, you know, how do you feel about the end of the tour? And then he said something about, like, Tommy and uh, Eric Singer need to go back to the back to the bread line now or something because they're not going to get paid anymore. I'm like, Ace, just, you know what? Big idiot. smile and, hey, it was great. Wish them the best of luck. Thanks. Not to mention, they made more than you have recently. And Tommy's smart. Tommy's got a vineyard. Yeah. You know, Eric's always been in demand, always will be. You know, they're on retainers from Chris. They get paid every year anyway, whether they play or not. So he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Right. Okay. So as fate would have it, while we were in the midst of recording our review of Kiss's first album, Kiss, I got a message from our dear friend, Paul Stevenson of VRP Rocks. He's been a great friend to our show, done us a couple of big favors. We've been on his show. He's been on ours. And he said he was preparing while we were doing the debut Kiss album to that afternoon, talk to Ace Fraley. Mm-hmm. 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 Now, first I freaked out. I'm like, there's no way you're talking to Ace. That's so cool. <laughs> and then I realized he had a few hours. So I started to come up with like, what questions should I ask Ace? And I started bandying him about. I'm like, it's going to be tough for you to keep him on track, you know, because Ace either has canned questions or he goes off in a direction. <laughs> you don't know what the hell it is he's talking about. <laughs> but I kind of said, well, look, you know, his new album, 10,000 Volts, is coming out basically or like around the same day that the first Kiss album was released. Like, I think the first Kiss album was released on February 18th, 74, and his new album is coming out like February 2024. So, you know, I just said, you know, tie that in together somehow. Paul, you know, ask him if there's any meaning behind it or, you know, is it amazing that, you know, 50 years later after you do your first album with Kiss, is it amazing or, you know, is is it mean anything to you or, or what's going to, you know, what's going to happen here or whatever? Mm-hmm. It says it might ship on the 23rd. I don't know. 
You're talking about Ace's record. Yeah. But it's still pretty close, though. That's that's an awfully big coincidence. It's it's February 23rd, maybe. So, yeah, it's close. You know, it, it's like 50 years later. I, I kind of said, you know, can you imagine you're still doing it or something like that? And he was nice enough because he isn't a huge Kiss fan. He doesn't know Ace the way we do. Mm-hmm. So he was nice enough to ask him this question on our behalf. So this is the great Paul Stevenson of Vintage Rock Pod, or VRP Rocks, I should say, talking to the legendary Ace Fraley. In terms of the record itself, as we said, February 23rd is when it's out. You can pre-order it now, get online and do the usual stuff. You can get various copies and things like that. But in terms of the release date itself, uh, Mac the Wolf was in touch and he said it's almost 50 years to the day since the release of the original Kiss record, the debut Kiss record. So was that um, planned or was it coincidence? And looking back now, what's your feelings on that debut Kiss record? Uh, I don't pay attention to dates very much, but I am into numerology. <laughs> I have simian palms. Do you know what that is? I have no idea. <laughs> okay, if you look at my palms, you see I have the line goes straight across Yep. on both palms. If you look at your palms, there's probably two lines that split. Yep. 90% of the people on the planet have those kind of lines on their hands. But, you know, this is a... This is a trait that not that many people have. It's supposed to mean uh, it can affect it mean you have maybe a little higher intelligence or you're more of a special person. I've always felt I was special. You know, I have 163 IQ and uh, I used to I never took a guitar lesson. But what helped me with music was I grew up in a musical family. My mother and father played piano. My brother and sister played piano and acoustic guitar, and I was the youngest of three children. So I just kind of got it by osmosis. <laughs> Fantastic. And in terms then, just to answer Max's question, what's what's your thoughts looking back 50 years on on that uh, debut Kiss record then? Well, it's been a roller coaster ride, you know. I joined Kiss in, what, 72, 73, left in, seven, in 82, then I rejoined for the reunion tour in 95, 96. And then I quit again in uh, around 2001, 2002. You know, what the success of my solo album in 1978, you know, after I got back together with the guys, I kind of realized it was, I kind of saw the writing on the wall that I realized that I was more creative away from Paul, Gene, and Peter than I was when I was around them. You know, we were great live and four guys from four different backgrounds, but magic happened when we performed. You know, eventually we fell into those pitfalls and traps. You know, once he became famous, you know, I overindulged in drugs and alcohols and so did Peter. For some reason, Paul and Gene, I don't think they ever did cocaine, but I remember, you know, when I was going to Studio 54, everybody did cocaine. <laughs> but You know, it seems over the last 10, 15 years, you know, there's been a trend in Hollywood and in the music business to get sober. And I've been sober now 17 years, and it's made the world a difference for me. I'm just able to concentrate more. I'm more creative. I'm healthier. You know, I dropped 45 pounds in the last year and a half. And uh, I feel great. You know, my, my fiance is also a personal trainer. Besides being a school teacher and a painter, she pretty much stopped teaching school and she's been concentrating on her paintings and uh, she helps me work out. You know, right now she's in the gym. 
I'm home alone. The kids are in school and uh, I'm loving it. You know, this is kind of like my man cave. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So first of all, Mm -hmm. thank you, Paul, for trying to ask not once, (laughs) but twice a question from me to Ace Fraley. When we were living together in the dorm and you said, one day your friend will have a radio show and he'll ask a question to Ace from you. I'd be like, wow, that's so cool. I can't wait. Which question should I ask? But keeping him on target is not easy. And then the tangents he goes off on. I mean, <laughs> Simeon Hands, mm-hmm. 163 yeah. IQ, which right. is, I believe you when you say you have Simeon Hands, whatever that means. When you say you have 163 IQ, I just don't. Sorry. If, if you told me that uh, you were going to be able to ask a question to him, I would have said back then, I would have said no way. Mm-hmm. But if I knew that was going to be the answer, I would have believed that 100%. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just, you don't know what you're going to get. That was in no way any part of the question that he asked. I mean, he, or he could ask about 30 different questions and got that same answer. It's just, he just goes off on these, he just wanders around. I know. And, and, and now I can see why. He told you know he was talking about how the the relationship kind of went south on him. How if you're somebody like Gene Simmons, for instance, who is a business person and straight, like all the time, Ace is none of those things. Mm -hmm. He is a just he. You would see him as just this screwball dude. He can't ever stay on track. He can't ever get himself focused on anything. It's annoying. But you also have he's a personality like he he just he's that gotta he's let a him, character gotta let, for yeah, sure <laughs> you gotta let him be what he's gonna be he can't you can't fit him in a box well and you know he's he's bragging you know he's been sober for 17 years and i'm happy about that i'm mm-hmm. happy about that for him and obviously it's had some kind of positive effect he's done more solo albums between the covers albums and the new solo albums mm-hmm. and tours he's worked more in the last 17 years and I'd say the last 12 years than he did all before that since he left Kiss. But the damage is done, you know, clearly. You know, it's like, I'm glad you stopped drinking, but it probably should have been 17 years before you stopped. Have you have you heard any of the new record? Only the first single. Only, yeah, only that's the, all I've the heard 10,000 volts. So, yeah. yeah. I, I'm uh, just, I'm glad that he's still out there. I'm glad that he still wants to make music. I, I'd be interested to listen to the rest of the record. I know there have been stuff that's been posted that he's had some kind of odd moments on stage where maybe he forgot what song it was or mm-hmm. maybe the guitar was out of tune. I don't know. But I'm glad that he still wants to do this. I'm glad that he's even still here. I mean, after that whole, you know, DeLorean crash i know no way he should still be alive it's shocking that he's still alive yeah it's shocking that he's out still making music but i mean the stuff he's saying now like he can sing better than paul and he doesn't need backing tracks okay yeah paul needs a little help true Mm. because his voice is a little shot that's why he was so anxious to try to get that door done but he can still out sing you you know circles around you ace i mean that's never even been a question and i don't know i was hoping to get some kind of reaction about the first album i mean did he realize that it was the 50th anniversary date maybe he did maybe he didn't maybe he's trying to distance himself a little bit from Mm -hmm. that but i don't know why it's still great work and you know he wrote cold gin and i don't get it but i mean i it's it's great it's just killer it's killer that that paul asked that question for us and that yeah we now have this show that we can be in touch with people who have contact with ace and maybe if paul's getting to maybe some other friends of ours will get him soon as well 
I can only imagine. And that would be a show, you know, you mentioned something that maybe Paul isn't the biggest Kiss fan in the, in his rock and roll journey. But I think we know two people who would pin him up against the wall ace and keep him there for days asking him questions. Well, hopefully that'll happen. All right. Well, thanks for talking about when you came into the band and left the band ace. Like, like we couldn't have looked that up on Wikipedia or didn't just know that <laughs> already, but, but thanks for the insight such as it was. Hi, I'm Paul Stevenson from vintage rock pod and you're listening to the ugly American werewolf in London. But the fact of the matter is, this was the third single off the album, backed with 100,000 Years, uh, mm-hmm. which is on the second side. But like really all of the singles, it didn't go anywhere. Now, it's still a, fav- a fan favorite. It's been on a lot of live albums. It's been on a lot of compilations and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And people love it. Do they like the 78 version or do they like the original version? Well, that's, that's up to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if there are a lot of people in our shoes where they they heard that 78 version first and so that there'll always be a special place for that because it was to you and me this was the the first version that we ever heard yeah i know you know and it's it's basically look it's about a girl who struts around maybe she's a prostitute i don't know (laughs) or maybe she's just a hot girl who kind of gets her way and she knows that's that's everybody knows she's looking good and the lady knows it's understood Mm -hmm. it's like i know you're looking at me you should be if you weren't, there would be a problem. She'll let you walk the street beside her, but when she wants, she'll pass you by. So it's like, you're good enough for now, but when the bigger, better deal comes along, yes, you're out. And that's one of the more positive profiles of a woman you'll hear about on a Kiss album. <laughs> this one or any other. But strong way to start off the album. Mm, yeah, still sounds good today. That's uh, right. I still enjoyed listening to it uh, on this run through. Now, the second song... Nothing mm-hmm. to lose. Yes. The first single and a big favorite of Kiss fans. Right. Correct. I'm sorry. Quickly, though, we got to go back to Strutter. Mm-hmm. Strutter is the rare Kiss song that Gene and Paul wrote together. They share the co-write mm-hmm. on it. Generally speaking, it's one or the other because they know that's where the money comes from is songwriting royalties. It's like if you write it, you get paid on it. Someone else yeah. writes it, they get paid on it. If you share it. Then you split it. And that, that had to be an interesting dynamic all of those years because, I mean, they are, were such big fans of the Beatles and, you know, the Lennon-McCartney dynamic there. You'd think, oh, well, you know, let's just do the same thing. But you're right. Wait a minute. If I write the whole thing, I get 100% of the royalties. Yeah, I, I've got it. I'm fine. Don't, hey, you need know, help with that? No, I don't. Nope. It's fine. No, I don't. You can sing it the way I ask you to. <laughs> you want to change that? Nope. Leave it the way it is. You don't get any credit. <laughs> Because like Henley and Fry used to know the same thing. All right, we'll write these together. But then if someone would come in and say, oh, let's change this here or whatever, he's like, Ugh, add a word, get a third. They were pissed yeah. off about sharing the money, you know? So right. That's just the way they were. We are going to move on to Nothing to Lose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't know this one really until they did it on Unplugged, to be honest with Correct. You. Correct. And honestly, I didn't really pay this, much, this one much attention until I started listening to this record for this show. And I don't understand. I mean, it's, I don't understand how this got through anybody because if you actually sit there and listen to the words that they're singing, mm-hmm. he's saying what now? And then, 
you listen to it again. Nope, that's exactly what he's talking about. And at first I thought it was kind of, it's kind of a goofy song. But then when you realize, like, basically you've made a joke out to the world that you only a few people know, and now it turns more into a tongue-in-cheek deal. So I think I like this song a lot better now that I realize what they're trying to do, and they pretty much fooled the world with their first single. Yeah, even though if you listen, if you read the lyrics, which you know lyrics weren't printed on every sleeve, and that you can't see them when you're listening on the radio. Mm-hmm. But I'll just read some of the lyrics, and you tell me what you might think it's about. Sure. Before I had a baby, I didn't care anyway. I thought right. about the back door. Uh-huh. I didn't know what to say. Right. But once I got a baby, I tried every way. She didn't want to do it, but she did it anyway. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Ba- baby please don't refuse you know you got nothing to lose right yep that's right they're talking about the butt <laughs> what's yeah. the strangest place you ever made whoopee uh that would be the butt bob <laughs> <laughs> yes they're talking about cajoling <laughs> your girlfriend Correct. into anal <laughs> My And that's the second and, song, and, and it's I'm the first sorry. single. <laughs> and I'm sorry, who who uh, who wrote this again? Oh, that's right, Gene Simmons <laughs> from Kiss. I've got an idea for a song, but what I like about this is it goes back and forth between Simmons and Peter Chris. Peter, yeah, Peter does the the chorus. Yeah, and I like Peter's voice. Uh, it's I don't know if I need the whole album or every song with Peter because it's kind of raspy and rough. Right, but it's still right. pretty good, and, and I like it. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think you've got you've got Paul, who's the the big time. He's got the rock star voice. Then you've got Gene, who's if he sings the right songs, it sounds good. And then yeah, Peter's a really good third to throw somebody either let him do the lead or throw him in in a song like this to trade back and forth. Yeah. I, I, I like that a lot. And it's an interesting song that it kind of slows down in the middle, kind of stops and then there's just drums and the piano comes in and there's hand claps and then everyone, but I feel like they would use it again because the chorus has got, got nothing to lose. And then mm-hmm. the next album, which was later that year, I mean, it only came out like eight months later or something like that. Hot, hot, Hotter than hell. <laughs> you got, got nothing to lose. Rip, rip, rip and destroy. I mean, it's it's all the same thing, if you ask me. It's just, right. it, they just did it a little bit differently. So it, it must have been good because they plagiarized themselves, as far as I'm concerned. Right. But at the uh, same time, too, you figured that you didn't have a whole lot of time to write that second record. So if it, what do you got? Throw it on there and let's go. Yeah, I've got nothing to lose except I'm calling it hotter than hell. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's play it. You know, I don't think it really went anywhere. Well, I think that was the problem. The problem is they they put this out and then crickets. Yeah, I mean the love theme from Kiss was the B side, which we'll get to. It's on the mm-hmm. second side of the album here. It was released, you know, a week or ten days before the album came out. So it's released February eighth of seventy four. The album comes out February eighteenth, seventy four. But they played it on ABC's in concert. You know, from which which aired on February nineteenth of that year. 
Uh-huh. I'm sorry. It was performed February 19th. The show aired March 29th that year. So, okay. A record world called it a hard rocker par excellence with big gutsy vocals and heavy instrumentals. But once Peter left the band, I don't think they played it at all. And then for Unplugged, it was big. And then they did a little bit during Psycho Circus, I think. But then, uh, you know they kind of went back to uh to stuff that they knew better yeah and, and stuff that wasn't necessarily about anal <laughs> not necessarily about the not necessarily i mean it could be but is it necessarily whereas this is that's all it is that's yes. that's what it's about so. and, and i can't i can't believe that whoever at abc didn't figure that out and they're, so they're all you know you've got whoever the host was dick clark or whatever just bopping along to this thing like yeah they're so freaked out by what the guys look like. Like, wow, guys, why, why do you have the makeup on like that? <laughs> you know, and then like, whoa, they're really loud. They're not even paying attention to what they're saying. Right. So, right. <laughs> so that's kind of funny, but it's also kind of pathetic. I don't know. It's 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 kind of silly at the same time. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, ah, ha, ha. I think when you when you realize, especially that I, I don't know about the, the gene part, but to me, the more I listen to this, the the Peter part definitely sounds like it's he's he that it's a goof and he realizes that like I can't believe we're getting this on a record yeah Peter wasn't so serious right Paul and Gene took things really seriously Peter wasn't so serious and it kind of comes through in the song I I think Peter's part is the best part of it I, I think so yeah yeah all right the third track here on the first side is Firehouse Mm-hmm. a paul stanley right and he does sing it i don't know why for whatever reason because i was more of the second three albums in alive two than the mm-hmm. first three albums in alive one guy i always figured i always thought this was on hotter than hell for some reason okay this is the one this is the album i know best of the first three as far as i know exactly what order the songs are in i know which songs are on it for whatever reason i just thought firehouse was on hotter than hell it makes sense Hotter Than Hell and Firehouse seems mm. they would go together. And I feel like they once they made that record, they would play them together or maybe back to back. I could be wrong about that. But anyway, uh, this is another one that I think was a lot better live than it was on this album. Well, I think, too, it, I think back in the day, this was the one where Gene, would, before he got the whole solo, well, no, the solo was the blood. This There was the fire. He would spit fire during That's right. this song. So or at the yes, end of it, yeah. Right. I could see how, if you were a fan, this is what you wanted to see because you couldn't wait for him to do that. And, you know, Paul would put the fire hat on, which looks a little goofy, in my opinion. Yeah. But it was it's definitely a showpiece. Yeah, because they would have like the red fire engine lights on top of the speakers like go right. off during this. Yeah. Um, so you got sirens and lights. And so live, that's fun, you know? Yeah. But, but I think on this version, it plods a little bit right. in the studio, whereas live, it's a little faster, which is not uncommon that bands play mm-hmm. songs just a little faster live than they did in the studio. And I feel like the bass is a little dirtier live. <laughs> I, I just think that a live captured them much better than this ever did. Yeah. And and I've got a note here that the, the, so, the Ace's solo is sloppy. 
but mm-hmm. it works. Like it fits into the song. And I think he would, that's one thing that would come back to kind of bite him later on is I think he's a dude who's just like, we're going to go into the studio, we're going to record something and whatever happens, happens. I'm not interested in doing it a thousand times and I'm not interested in being told how to play something. It's just, it's going to, it's going to be good enough. And that's kind of his attitude about everything. Well, let's right. not work too hard, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Don't don't mess with perfection. So, okay. But apparently The Move had a uh, song called Fire Brigade, and that's what inspired Paul to write okay. the song Firehouse. There you go. And that's courtesy of Martin Popoff. Thank mm-hmm. you, Martin. Does he have photos in there of that? There are a lot of photos in yeah. there. Yeah, it, it's pretty. It's a pretty great book. I mean, you've got the ACDC fifty book, which we interviewed right. him on. But yeah, they've even got a you know picture of Dick Clark in here because you know he, they were on ABC's in concert. What this book is is it. It's not just all chronological. They did this album and it sold this and had these singles and that kind of thing. It's fifty moments or important things that happened at certain times during the band's career. Oh, okay. And so, and then he'll they'll he'll name each chapter after one of their songs. So, chapter three uh, is "Kissin' Time," which is a song off this album. This is when they released or their self-titled first album. And uh, chapter eighteen is "Got to Choose" because they're going over the four solo albums, kind of thing, you know. And so it and it's got. I mean, obviously, Kiss is one of the most photographed bands in the history of ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've got a couple of. I, I feel like they've. You know, some are longer than others. Some are only a couple of pages. Some are several because they've got so many great pictures in here. It's a real great collector's item of a book. And I think on Amazon, you can get it for like 33 bucks or something like that. But if you want Martin to autograph it, obviously it's, it costs more and you got to go through his website, martinpopoff.com or martinpopoff.ca. But if you take away the sirens and Paul wearing the fire hat and Gene spitting blood, is it a great song? No, probably really. not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it, like you said, it definitely benefits from the live treatment. And so you wonder too, no, if you hadn't seen them at all, would you just pass over this track? Like, meh, whatever. And then, cause I remember there was, there was, um, Eric Singer was talking about going to see them as a teenager. Yeah. And he said, that's one of the things you were waiting for. And was it more, it wasn't really about the song. It was for the show part that was going to come with it. Yeah. Apparently they were touring with the New York Dolls. When they did Firehouse, he climbed up, I guess, into the balcony, like where, you know, the fancy people are supposed to sit. There's, right. there's nobody up there. <laughs> when there's Firehouse, the sirens start going up. He starts making his presence known up there. He's like, yeah, look at me. I'm up here. And then they came and got him and kicked him out. So he's like, so I never did get to see the New York Dolls. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad, Eric. All right, moving on to number four is Cold Gin, Mm -hmm. Kiss Classic. And this is the only solo right that Ace has on the first album here. Right. But he doesn't sing it. He was not confident in his voice for good reason. That was a better decision. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah, So we had Gene, who does not drink at all, sing a song about Cold Gin, but it is a good demon kind of song, I mm-hmm. guess. The stuff I didn't know was, did you know that Jin has some kind of power on male sexuality? I've never really heard that before, like ever. Clearly, I've had not had enough of it because <laughs> it's not worked so far. So, but no, I did not know that. So, all right. So here's here's something that I read. It's like, it's, it's widely misinterpreted to be a struggling co- couple who needs alcohol to cope with how difficult life is or how cold gin affects the male sex drive. Okay. But that's that's not it. Apparently, 
Ace, because I read No Regrets, his book. He wrote the song while he's on the subway, and he kind of pulled the riff from Fire and Water by Free, Free, the English rock group featuring Paul Rogers and drummer mm-hmm. Simon Kirk, who would join him in Bad Company. But I guess Gene actually helped him, you know, write some of that. And it said Ace was like, hey, we weren't so like grabby, like this is mine, you can't have it. It was more of a brotherhood, like let's help each other out. You got a song, mm-hmm. let's make it as good as we can. How about we throw this in there? Oh yeah, cool, thanks man. They weren't so tough about it. Martin says, let's see what Martin Popoff has to say in his brilliant book. He said that it supports the idea that Kiss are one of the acts exploring this new heavy metal Metal zone where everybody in the band crowds around warming their hands on a fiery riff burning in an oil drum okay martin all right okay thanks for the flowery so words what, what, what did they say the song is really about because i don't know <laughs> it definitely sounds like to me yeah it, it's you to put up with the old lady you need to to be drinking yeah going down to the liquor store to buy another quart I was like well yeah you're just going to get loaded right right it's the only thing that keeps us together okay yeah sometimes but it's it, the but, only thing yeah <laughs> but what i like about this is it, this is nasty this is just a nasty song and i'm glad that ace didn't try and sing it because it would have been horrendous and so and you're right gene doesn't drink but it, this is a character so it's the you know this nasty demon character that uh, has questionable yep. relationships, and it was on double platinum, uh, and they mm-hmm. played it for years and years. I mean, that's the thing they they've never. I'm sure they've taken out the set and put it back in, but they played it all throughout this last tour that I saw three times with the Wolf Cub. Mm-hmm. When they got back together, when we saw them on the reunion tour, or live worldwide, whatever you want to call it, he did let Ace sing some of the verses. Like Gene would start it, and then he kind of throw it to Ace, and yeah. he would sing some. Now that I thought was cool, because mm-hmm. Ace was singing it on his solo tours. He did write the song. If he'd written it four years later, he probably would have sung it because suddenly by the time you get to 77, 78, 79 and 80, they couldn't put enough Ace songs on the records. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. It's a little slow on this. Of course, it is better live. No doubt about it. Right. I th- I made a note here. I don't need Paul whooping at the beginning. Just <laughs> take that out. Just let Gene sing. Woo. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Good old Paul and his woo yes. <laughs> All right. Well, so they end the second side with Let Me Know. Correct. Now, this is one that did go back to their Wicked Lester days. Mm-hmm. And you can tell, at least to me, you can tell. Paul wrote this. Gene and Paul switched vocals on it, which makes it kind of cool. Yeah. But it, and it was called Sunday Driver, so they changed it. Of course, Let Me Be Your Sunday Driver, that's that lyrics in there. Yeah. It, it's not yeah. heavy hard rock. It's definitely something that was that came before, you know. Correct. And you remember that time that we we were in the car and we had watched the extreme close up for the ten thousandth time. We were sitting at a red light, and I just said, "You know, I'm really." The more I think about it, I'm glad they changed uh, Sunday Driver to let me know. And you almost wrecked the car because it was the most random. Just <laughs> where? Why did you even think about that at this time? <laughs> I know you're starting to sound like Mike, our roommate, the Kiss Tard. You know. <laughs> 
Like, okay, we got to start watching other shit, man. <laughs> but, it, but it was the way when he was describing it, he was, he was just so genuine about how, like, Paul, about how, oh, yeah, you know, I just I just thought it it, it sounded better as Let Me Know. Yeah, it's just a goofy song that it doesn't really belong on this record. It doesn't sound like anything else. It's just it's just strange. And you're right. It is a leftover deal. They probably needed another track. But I will say that there is there are redeeming features to this. Okay. So at the 218 mark, it turns into this nasty A solo. And then you let me know. Yeah. So my thing is, it was so it was a Wicked Lester song. They've been doing it for years. They didn't change it a ton. I don't think in the middle of the song. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, at the end, then you finally hear Ace that sounds like Ace because throughout right. the song you don't, and it's like he's yeah. playing someone else's part or something that had already existed. Mm-hmm. And it's short. I mean, it's not even quite three minutes long. So if you don't have that thing at the end that it would be ridiculous. It wouldn't even be two and a half minutes long, you know? And, right. and my note was, I guess the song wasn't long enough. So they added all that at the end, mm-hmm. but it might've just been, they needed to make it a kiss song and not a wicked Lester song. So that's why they, okay. and let Ace wail on it. Cause it sounds older, which it was. And of course it's about, it's about sex. I mean, <laughs> It's what all of their songs are about. Right. I was going to say, when in doubt, go back to It's About Sex. It's Correct. about sex. You know, it's, yeah. let me see if I can pull up the lyrics real fast. I'll take you anywhere you want, just as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. So did you ever want loving? So you're calling up your baby and she's stalling with the neighbors and the night gets longer and the urge keeps getting stronger. <laughs> so you're trying and you're dying. A knock comes at your door. Let me in, honey. Let you into what, Paul? You just got to sigh, girl, and then you let me know. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. It's about sex. Mm-hmm. I'm Mr. Salt. Yeah. I'll be your. What do they sing? I'll be your Monday man. It sounds like he's saying, I'll be your money man. Yeah. <laughs> Which means he's talking to a prostitute. So I, I don't know. But anyway, let's, that's, mm-hmm. that's side one of the original album for a band that would have more gold and platinum albums than anyone, I guess, except for maybe Rush. Yeah. Hi there. This is Martin Popoff, scribbler of many, many rock books. You're listening to the ugly American werewolf in London. Anyway, kiss in time. Right. Starts off the second side. Yeah. Could be my favorite uh, track on the record, but no. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't the bands either because the original no. pressing, which was a hundred thousand copies or so didn't have it. Right. And it was one of those things where, it, you know, it, it just seemed like they would sell 75, they get to 50 or 75,000 and then it would fall off. Like they'd sell 50 or 75,000, they'd fall off. So they get to 75,000 of the first one. And then Neil Bogart's like, what we need is a hit single off this mm-hmm. thing. And, and I don't hear it. So let's, let's do a cover. Yeah. We'll do a cover. Bobby Rydell hit the top 20 with this in 1959. <laughs> so let's do Kiss and Time. Like, no, that's not us. That's a dumb song we don't want to do. He's like, look, do it, man. I We need something to boost the sales. We can do this. You know, let's, let's do it. Mm-hmm. So the band didn't want to, but they followed his lead and did it anyway. Yeah, and I never knew that story going into this. I was like, I don't even know what this is. I, don't, I mean, I knew it was a cover, but I didn't know why they thought it was a good idea. 
But then reading this story, yeah, I can see how there was probably some giant screaming match meeting where the record company is saying, this thing is a bomb. It is not selling anything we need. We need a, a jump start here. So we found this deal for you. But it does give you some pretty good information, though, because what I didn't know is anytime is kissing time, USA. <laughs> it's just good to know <laughs> right correct and, it, and it's funny too because like it's if, like, if you've never heard this before it actually doesn't start out bad you know the beat's kind of okay and then they start calling out the names of the cities and you say oh this is gonna this is bad right off the bat this is bad yeah no they kissed it up as far as the riffs and the rhythm right. goes like yeah you start listening they're like hey this isn't that bad and then you listen to it and like oh god this is <laughs> This is, this is so bad. It's written by Burning Low and Cal Mann, I guess, for Bobby back in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't go anywhere. It would hit 87 or 83, something like that, on okay. the chart. Just nowhere. Interesting story, though, because Bobby Rydell was like a teen idol. You know, it, okay. it, yeah. you know, it, 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 number 11 in the USA on the top 100, number five in Canada. He got to do a successful tour in Australia with like the Everly brothers and the crickets after Bobby, uh, buddy Holly died and all that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So he did a new version of the song that like, instead of like, you know, Cleveland and Cincinnati and stuff, they're talking about Adelaide and Sydney and Perth Perth. and Darwin and stuff like that. So, (laughs) and kiss got to be very, very popular in Australia Mm -hmm. still are. So that's an interesting story i guess it was backed with nothing to lose so the first single doesn't do well (laughs) nothing to lose let's just put it on the b side of the second single but it's cheesy like they're smooching all over even in st lou i'm like oh god it's bad so baby come on interesting point they they point out tennessee everything's a city except for tennessee i guess they couldn't come up with something that that ended in e you're not going to shoehorn knoxville into that no well they needed something that rhymed with e so they didn't want to do kansas city they did tennessee i guess i don't know now one thing i wrote down here though is this is this the only song they ever had because it's three uh they've got all three stanley simmons and chris on this lead singing yeah yeah as far as i know i mean except for unplugged when they gave everybody a shot at rock and roll all night yeah as far as i know it's the it's the only time that they had three different people sing lead okay so on it. I mean, but that's probably because no one really wanted to do it <laughs> it's like you know it's like okay paul I'm you done. sing this you, part you yeah. do this part peter you can do this part i don't want to get in there and sing it but it's not hard rock it's not heavy no. metal it, it doesn't fit at all it doesn't fit at all with the record it doesn't fit at all with the what they were trying to do as far as the image of the band I can, uh, like I said, I can only imagine they went into this kicking and screaming. But at the same time, if the thing is stalled out, maybe you think, I don't care. I'll do, I'll do something to kickstart this. Yeah. So uh, the fact of the matter is, the first one hundred thousand prints doesn't have this on it, and it's like a. 30, no, that's the collector's item. That's right the collector's there. album. Yeah. It's got It's like thirty-two minutes or something like that. But so this comes out in what? 
May of that year. The single, yo. The single. They decide to reprint everything going forward with that on there. Mm. It doesn't work out. But eventually it goes gold in 1977 after the success of Alive and Destroyer and all that. Mm -hmm. The back catalog sells. So, yeah, there's a lot more with it than without it. So if you can find that without it, you've got a little piece of gold there. Mm -hmm. Nice collector's item. Okay, let's move on from that. Goodness. What I guess was going to start the album, the second side, was Deuce. Mm -hmm. Kind of hard to be a bigger song in the Kiss catalog than Deuce, really. I mean, they... it's on their. It's on this debut record, and they played it. Did they, was it ever out of the rotation? Because they do have that the dance that they do in there. That's a big crowd favorite. I think this. They stuck with this the entire time. All right. So the note is here that it was dropped for rock and roll over. Okay. And then not played again until I guess they did a show in Evansville in 1978, but they didn't really put it back in the regular rotation until Hot in the Shade. Okay, so they they backed it for the 80s stuff then. Basically, they said it was some nights on the European Crazy Nights tour, but then it, you know, it, it came back in and I yeah, I mean I, I, they played it when we saw them on the Revenge tour. Mm-hmm. It's on most every box set, every compilation, every live album for the most part. It's it's just I mean it's it's on just about everything. The thing is, you read the lyrics, so it's got to be about sex, right? Because it doesn't make any sense, but Right. Even Gene's like written by Gene. I, yeah, it's Gene written by Gene, sung by Gene. But I don't really know. Even Gene's like, I don't know what the lyrics are about. <laughs> now I remember singing this song to you, like yeah. in college, when I say, "Get up and get your grandma out of here," and you're like, "That's not the lyrics." I'm like, "What do you mean that's not the lyrics?" He's like, that's not it. I'm like, "Well, what is it?" It's like, "I don't know, but that's not it." But it is it, man. That's exactly what it is. Because it couldn't possibly be. Yeah, maybe it's just they're just words that sound good together when when you're writing this and how it fits into the music. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But you know, you figure that your your man is working hard. He's worth a deuce. That's got to be something sexual, I would imagine. You know, because that's what Gene thinks about twenty four hours a day. Yeah, it's well, like well, that's what women are for, right? Correct. Uh, correct. And baby, do the things he says to do. Right. That wouldn't fly in modern society so well. (laughs) Baby, if you're feeling good and baby, if you're feeling nice, you know your man is working hard. He's worth a deuce. Right. And now, so you didn't get that lyric, but here's one that I didn't know. So then he goes, honey, don't push your man behind his years or beyond his years. I used to think, don't wash your man behind his ears. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that meant. It was probably something sexual I didn't get, you know, and stop crying all your tears because no one wants to listen to that and do the things he says to do. And then Paul shouts, do it. (laughs) <laughs> like just do it my my guess was it's you know what don't just do him once do him twice right G- give him yeah. a deuce <laughs> he's been he's been working extra hard 
But uh, what I like in this is is the when Ace first comes in with that little solo and he drops it in, and I think he does a thing. He always played the Les Paul with no tremolo on it. He bent, he'll bend into the note and then drop it mm-hmm. as he's playing it. It sounds really cool, and it, it nobody sounds like Ace. You can bag on him all you want for being an, an idiot, jerk, yeah. ruin mm-hmm. his legacy now, but especially back then, no one played like him. And I'm actually surprised they could do the deuce dance back then with him because he can't even stand up straight half the time or walk around that he didn't fall over in those heels is a miracle. It's amazing. I mean, no, the guitar is so cool. His solo is iconic in this. Yeah. And it's kind of what all his other solos afterwards in Kiss are kind of based on. Yeah. He pulls a lot from this one. But when they stop and they go back to the riff, I just have to say, I want to hear you because I've... (laughs) Every time I've seen him play, he said it every single time. It's bright and clear right there on a live. It's- so, okay. So again, for as, for as much as you like this track, is this one better live too? Because they have the, you know, you know, they're going to get together in the middle and do the, and do the choreographed deal. You know, he's going to yell. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the other thing about watching the Kiss Confidential or the, the Kiss Extreme Close-Up, was mm. that you saw them do the deuce dance. And right. doing it when they're young, it was cool, because they really put a lot of energy into it. They really swayed really far back and forth. And we go, dun, 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 when they put the guitars up together, yeah. dun, 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 like they're, they're showing off their weapons, their guns, or something like that. It was so cool back in the day. And then when we saw them do it on the Revenge Tour with Bruce Kulik, I, you know, we were looking, are they going to do it? Are they going to do that thing where they get together? Yeah. Now we call it the deuce dance, but like, are they going to do together and do the thing? And they did we're like, oh yes. It's like something you yeah. can really count on. Yeah. Now when they do it, they look so tired. Like, of course they're <laughs> 70 years old and they're wearing all that crap. I mean, they got to be a little bit tired. Like, okay, here they go again. You know, even Tommy can't do it really good because he'll show up the other two. Right. Yeah. So, and that, that's definitely something that, that was missed later on when you watch the original concerts that they do, even, you know, back from the, the ABC days when Gene would do the, he'd slink around a lot more and do the thing. He kind of hunch himself up and, and take wild, exaggerated steps. Yep. And really, it, it, yeah, he's not doing that anymore. He just kind of stands in one spot and thinks about all the money he's making. Yeah. So, I mean, just like there'll be songs where Bruce Dickinson will work in Scream for Me, Amsterdam, yeah. you know, which is usually an Iron Maiden. This is one where, he, you know, the I want to hear you is so an iconic part of it. So, yeah. The live version is way better than the studio version. Right, right. You listen to this now and you're like, hey, wait, wait, where's that part? Oh, it's not part of the song. That's right. And it fades. So there's no like big deuce dance and big end with pyrotechnics and all that to it. So it's it's not the same, but it's a great Kiss song. It's one of their best. It's one that they play all the time, especially from that era. Mm -hmm. Gotta love deuce. All right. Next up is love theme from Kiss. Correct which I believe is the only song that all four of the original members got a co-write on. Correct. Probably because it's an instrumental. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So no one's singing. There's no lyrics to, uh, to hold on to there. It was apparently called Acrobat during their club days. Okay. Some place that they could extend out and really jam on for a while. Mm-hmm. And they shortened it down, I guess, for the album. Instead of the whole big, long, you know, whatever. Because they could probably stretch it out for five, ten minutes if they really want to. I just, you know, how long is it on here? Not even two and a half minutes. So, I mean, again, it's something that they did live. Let's cut it down a little bit so it fits on the album. It was a B-side 
But I mean, the only thing that stands out on here to me is the bass. The bass sounds good. It was recorded in 1974. And when I hear this, if I didn't know what it was, I would think it was the title sequence to Sorority Sisters Part 5 or some (laughs) other adult movie made at this time. It sounds really cheesy at the beginning. Yep. No doubt about it. I mean, look, it's not like they honed this for many years. Yes, Gene and Paul were in a band for years together. They've been working together for a long time. Mm -hmm. But the four of them really hadn't been together that long. Right. So they were still figuring each other out. And a lot more time, I felt like, was spent on what they were going to wear and what their faces were going to look like and what moves they were going to do. You know, which songs were going to be choreographed than the music necessarily. So this is one, I don't know. I mean, I call it a throwaway. I call it something they just need to add. But we've already said that about a couple of songs already. So, Well, okay, but think about it this way. So it looks like the album runtime with Kiss, uh, Kiss and Time is 35 minutes. So take out, so the original thing, take out Kiss and Time. And, na- and take this out. Now it's like now you're under 30. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, we need a little padding here, folks. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think they played this a whole lot uh, once they kind of hit the big time. But mm-hmm. here's the thing. They made their second album eight months later. So they were probably, once this was recorded, was already, they were already starting to try out some of those songs on the road. Right. That's what you did. You had to. You had to write the album while you were on the road and test some of them. Some at Soundcheck, maybe, but some you got to try live in front of people. It's just the way it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, I think it was October that they put out Hotter Than Hell. So Right. Yeah, yeah. So back to your thought about Firehouse being on Hotter Than Hell. I mean, it was probably all the same pot full of stuff they were pulling from at that point in time. Maybe so. Next up is 100,000 mm-hmm. Years. Yes. Now, this is actually better than I remember it. Okay. Because I do believe that this was on plat- Double Platinum. Yes. The 100,000 Years remix was on there but yeah they included that and this is another one that paul and gene wrote together and i don't know i've read so many things about kiss over the years i read an article about how they came up with the number hundred thousand years and gene was like that's too long nobody knows what a hundred thousand years is or something like that and paul's like no it's got to be longer ago a hundred years or a thousand years that's not long enough it's got to be like a hundred thousand years or they were reading okay. something or watching a show of something that was a hundred thousand. I don't know. I always thought that hundred thousand years was an odd time frame too. <laughs> but anyway, the, the bass is prominent here. I think yeah. Ace is really good here. The break features a bit of Peter's drumming, and if you listen to it, it kind of goes left and right on Ace's bit on okay, the stereo. Yeah. Like it comes out of your right speaker, then left, then yeah. right, back and forth. So that's kind of cool that they were playing with that. And I know they loved playing this live, but I'm not really sure why. It, it, it's it's weird to me.
it's a little darker. The the bass intro, I think, would become that deal that he plays now for his mm. solo and spits the blood. So that sounds familiar. I think they could have made a change on this one. They, they would have had to change the tracks on the record, like where it was sequenced. But I think Peter could have sung this song even better because it's Ooh. like that. He yeah, because it because it almost sounds like like Paul is trying to be darker, nastier, have that raspy voice that Peter has no problem, but he sings the next song so that would have been weird to have two back-to-back peter chris songs i guess and martin popoff is saying how uh, evokes an air of prog rock i don't hear okay. you, martin <laughs> all right I, I just don't he also said that gene framed deuce on bitch by the rolling stones wouldn't have picked that up either okay interesting i'd have to listen to him side by side to to get that but all right yeah hence it's rhythmic aggression and it's the heaviest it's the meanest heavy metal track on the album sort of tied with a hundred thousand years because a hundred thousand years is a little heavy or whatever it's just in a hundred thousand years it's just (laughs) i don't know i i I don't i've never really liked hundred thousand years to be honest with you okay that's where i come out yeah there's a i like the that there is a there is kind of a cool drum bridge in this and i know that uh when eric carr would show up they would talk about how his drumming was more like you know was heavier but i think peter does a good job on this yeah he is he is older so it's more jazz i guess inspired Mm -hmm. but it sounds good on this record yes i still don't really love the song okay well we're not going to salvage it then sorry to have waited so long must have been a bitch while i was gone all the time you put up a fear for a hundred thousand years okay the the (laughs) song's better than the lyrics But it's, it's definitely still, heavier. It definitely fits better than uh, it Sunday is Driver Let Me Know. Yes, absolutely. You're totally right about that. But at least they finished strong mm-hmm. with Black Diamond. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite song off of here, and it's one of my very favorite Kiss songs of all time. And they Inter- used okay. to close with wow. it. Wow. Yeah. All right. Easily. Yeah, easily. Yeah. And I was kind of bummed because we leave during this song. When I take oh. my daughter, we leave during this song. Because she's already getting tired and she can't stay all the way till rock and roll all night anyway. So I'm like, well, all right, let's watch some of this because I love this song. And then we can we can split during this. Because back in the day, at the end, Ace would get down on his knees and do his wicked solo at the end of it. While mm-hmm. Gene and Paul would stand up next to him. It was like they were hammering with his guitars. Like in unison, they'd be like yeah. pounding on him. And he would be like swinging his hair back and just playing his ass off but the song is cool because it has a couple different pieces right it has the the slow kind of acoustic guitar beginning with paul singing lightly and sparingly right. yeah and, and then, then it goes hit it yeah boom great riff yeah and then peter's voice comes in it's perfect for the song It, it's it's way better. So you you saying that you leave early now that actually doesn't hurt my feelings because I think Paul does not sing it the way that that Peter does. It's way better with with Peter on the vocals. Well, Eric sings it now. 
Oh, that's right. I'm sorry, Eric's. Okay, well, yeah. thanks. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it, he just he had. It's not a lead vocal, but you put him in the right situation, and it's awesome. And, and this it, is the first time you've heard it. This is the first lead that he takes, right? I'm looking back over here. Yeah, this is the first one on this record. You've heard him before, but not the lead. Right. You know, yeah, he he and Paul share it a bit, but he's, I would say he's the lead. I mean, because it really, it really does change. Like at the beginning, it's out on the street. And I'm like, oh, what is this? And then, bam, it hits you not only harder, but with a different person singing. Yeah, that's right. You, you heard him do one of the verses in Kiss in Time. You heard him do the chorus and Nothing to Lose. Mm-hmm. But no, this is the one that he sang. And then Eric Carr sang it for years after peter left and then they didn't do it for a long time but then singer picked it back up i guess yeah and it's it's, i mean it's not bad it's just not it's just not the same no you're right it's it's not horrible it it, actually eric singer has a very good voice but it isn't the same it doesn't sound the same it's great live it's a killer way to do it live and especially with ace's freak out solo at the end yeah Uh, it's so cool but then it goes into this big it's like it melts at the end yeah kind of and i didn't really know what that was all about because i feel like they cut that bit out on black diamond on double platinum i could be wrong about that but anyway you know in the extreme close-up they kind of played that part when they were like when paul was like all of a sudden there's little kids at the show this is like the end of the 70s when they were doing a lot of merchandising and had dolls and all that kind of stuff he's like something's wrong Mm -hmm. and they kind of show ace from the comic book going i think i overdid it you know (laughs) like things are turning upside down a little bit here but it is a classic they did it all the way into the end i love it and that's the album that's the first kiss album from february of 1974 it's interesting to me that they kind of save the harder stuff for the second side of the record deuce is harder hundred thousand years is harder black Black diamond Diamond. is harder yeah yeah and obviously they threw kiss and time in later right so so to me that doesn't really count because that that's not the way you originally envisioned this record to go so i'll take that but i mean like so say you say you took i don't know let's just say let's say you took let me know and mm-hmm. you swapped it out for hundred thousand years that would be really weird really a weird segue yeah so i'm glad that they tracked it like that and and they they put the harder stuff together well my final note was it's like they do they had something but they didn't know what it was with this album yeah, I I would agree with that. It was it was a they had a look. They had they had by the end of the record they had a sound they were working on and yeah, to be kind of the record execs there at the beginning with the, I'm sure they had very little faith in this thing to see how it ended up. They were just not going to give up. They were not going they were going to keep at this thing until they got what they wanted. Yeah, and they were figuring out how to be a band, how to work together, who's going to write what, who's going to sing what, what was their mm-hmm. sound. It takes a little while. It takes time to figure that out, but you don't have unlimited time and Casablanca didn't have unlimited money and <laughs> I, I mean say any money, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. That's right. Yeah, he he had to go to the mafia, I think, to right. uh, and more his house and all that stuff to keep it afloat until Alive came out, mm-hmm. which again was a terrible idea because live albums didn't sell that well and Kiss wasn't selling any albums anyway. And so they're like, okay, and now you want to put out a double live album? 
Uh, <laughs> but if, if it had failed, if Alive had failed, I think Casablanca would have gone under and not that many people would have been that anxious to pick up Kiss. Right. Yeah, so it, probably it could no have been one. the end of the band. Right, right. And it, But what I like about this is for as kind of disjointed as it is, this was before they met Bob Ezra and this is before they did, you know, Dynasty, uh, not Dynasty, right. but uh, Destroyer. Destroyer. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's like the classic package that they put out that that's more of the polished everything. This is a little rough around the edges, but this is them as the four of them trying to make it on their own. And so that, I like this. And honestly, I like Hotter Than Hell, too. And hopefully one day we'll get to that one because that's a weird deal. Yeah, and I don't know if it was Kenny Kerner or Richie Wise saying, I don't know what happened. Because they did it again. I mean, they they did Hotter Than Hell, too. Yeah. uh, And it was not that long later, right? Except that they did it in L.A. instead of in New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're like, I don't really know what happened. And it is like it's murky and muddy and something like that. I don't know. It's it just didn't it didn't work out it didn't sound as good they do have some good songs on there but yeah but no hotter than hell's like your that weird uncle that shows up that smells like vaguely like weed yeah and it's just you know no one really talks about him but he's there in the catalog yeah it's before they found their footing but it's cool because it's it's they're just throwing stuff against the wall at this point in time and with that record. Yeah, and I didn't love, I mean, I didn't love watching you, even though that kind of became a staple. Mm-hmm. Let Me Go Rock and Roll was pretty good live, but I, it's it's not great on here. Hot, hot, hotter than hell. You know, it's... It's, it's Rip and Destroy. Thank yeah, you. it's Rip and Destroy. I like that much better. Mm-hmm. The Going Blind song is ridiculous. It, but, but see, but that one is so... It's awesome because it's so weird. It's so, it's such a departure. It's so strange. It's about a 93 year old dating a 16 year old. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. I don't, and Parasite, I know it's kind of got a pretty good riff and it's been like a staple for a long time, but I never really liked it that much. Okay. So, I mean, you know, and then what's weird, what's the artwork, you know, it's, it's got this like Asian stuff on it that didn't make a whole lot of sense. It looks um, like it's a it looks like it's a promo poster or something from Japan that they just grabbed and they just said let's just use this. We need an album cover there. Exactly. It is. You know, it didn't yeah. make a whole lot of sense to me. I like right. Dress to Kill a lot better Correct. than Hotter than Hell, which of course Well, and then, you know, of course Destroyer with the with the painting and then well, actually Love Gun and Rock and Roll over. Everything it's that's the thing. Everything got more polished. This was we are literally we have no money, we have no fans, we're flying by the seat of our pants. Yeah. So there's some kernels in here, Mm -hmm. but you can't really see, oh, these guys are going to become one of the biggest, best live acts in the world. Correct. But they were putting together a sound that they liked, and there's some classics on here, no doubt about it. But yeah, I I would rather listen to the live stuff, generally speaking, than Mm -hmm. this over and over. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that they did refine that better. And I mean, again, we're, that's more what we're used to. I mean, we didn't we didn't ever really listen to this record before we got into either Alive or Alive Two. So we kind of worked it backwards. So yeah, we're always going to like the live stuff better. Well, that's our rundown on Kiss's debut album, Kiss, released in February. 1974 turning 50 here in 2024 
And while there's some killer riffs on there and some classic Kiss songs, songs that they would do until their very last show in Madison Square Garden in December of 2023, they're still obviously searching for their sound. They're still working a few things out and they still haven't captured that energy, that live energy that made them such an incredible live act, not only in 1974, but all the way up until the recent end here. And we got to thank Paul Stevenson for giving us that clip of Ace for asking the question. We love you, Ace. And we love you, Paul. Thank you so much for doing that. May not have made a whole lot of sense, but at least we can go to our grave saying, hey, we asked Ace Fraley a question. Maybe one day we'll even interview the guy. One can hope. But for KISS fans, this is kind of where it all started, and that first album will always be a classic. So we need to know, KISS fans, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You let us know. You email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. You can let us know what we messed up on this show. Or let us know the bands, the albums, the concerts, the DVDs, the books, the rock properties that you want to hear us talk about on this show. Please go out and download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss future episodes. And if you're thinking about it, guys, please give us a positive five-star review. It means a lot to us to hear from you. And it means a lot as far as being able to go out and find other rock and roll fans just like you, grow our show, and give us a better chance of getting someone like Ace on the show. Thanks, as always, to Pantheon Podcast for making us part of the family. And thanks to our sponsor, RareVinyl.com. Guys, I know they've got a lot of KISS imports, a lot of the European KISS items with the different S's on there. Go there, use code UGLY, save yourself 10%. Next week, we're going to have a special guest on the show. Not a name you might recognize, but someone who's worked with the greats and is going to have some great stories for you. So stay tuned for that. And to all you rockers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.